102.5 FM, KXSFLP San Francisco and KXSF.FM. You're tuned into Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Melanie Greenberg, practicing psychologist and expert on managing stress, using proven techniques from neuroscience, mindfulness, and cognitive behavioral therapy. She has written the book, The Stress-Proof Brain, and will be sharing how we can better manage our stress. Thank you for joining me today, Melanie. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Stress can lead to physical disease and psychological breakdown. Before we need to be able to deal with the stress that we may be feeling each day, whether it's finance, work, relationship, illness, what is going on in our brain when we get stressed? And what responses are being triggered physically and psychologically? Our brains don't necessarily differentiate a regular kind of psychological stress from a threat to life because our brains were wired with our, from the days when our ancestors dealt with lions and tigers. And so what happens when you stress is that your brain, there's a part called the amygdala, which is the threat center of the brain, and it sends you into fight or flight. So it starts activating your body, almost as if you were going to fight somebody or run away and the blood flows to your muscles, glucose flows to your brain, your heart starts beating faster, your breath starts getting more rapid and there's a physiology to it. And then there's another response called freeze. If the stress gets to a certain level where it feels completely uncontrollable, sometimes you can just free, your body just freezes up and it's like you, you can't think, you can't act. So those are some of the responses under stress. And of course, there's different levels. So it's a lower level. It just would be a lower level of the same response. Is it from the worrying or the negative self-talk that everything's going wrong? So that is a cognitive response to stress, which can go along with the physiology. And I think what happens is that there's another part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is your thinking center. And when once that comes on board, it starts trying to control the situation. So it starts worrying, you know, what's going to happen in the future? What can I do about it? How can I prevent it? Um, how can I stop what happened in the past from happening again? And so on. And so you, you can get into kind of spins and cycles of worry. And what about fear and uncertainty? Is that more of a physical response or is that both a, a cognitive and a physical response? So fear is a, is a physical response and the mental aspect of fear is worry. So there's fear in the body and then there's kind of fear in the brain and the fear in the brain is worry. Uncertainty is kind of a state of the environment that seems to trigger us and our brains into feeling very uncomfortable. Like we kind of interpret uncertainty, something bad could happen and, and we don't know what, whether it would or what to do about it. So it can trigger stress response. So is it the fear and uncertainty that then trigger unrealistic expectations where we tend to blow things out of proportion? 
So I think with uncertainty, it can trigger an unrealistic response if in trying to feel like it's something we can control what we can't control. So that's one issue. And then fear can also make us blow things out of proportion because we're wired to fight tigers and lions. So it can make the threat seem bigger, just our physiological response, our sort of automatic response can make us feel like we're, we're under a greater threat than maybe what we actually are. But a lot of these stressors are real. And let's say someone is bullying you or your, your illness is creating a lot of havoc on your life. And until you can solve these problems, they're going to continue to stress you, right? Correct. I mean, a lot of stresses are real. And, you know, the question is, what pieces of it can you control? And what can't you control? So say you have an illness like diabetes or something. You can't control the fact that you have the illness and it is going to be stressful. And, um, you know, you're going to have blood sugar spikes or drops. You're going to have to monitor it. Um, You know, there's a certain level of danger associated with it. None of that is controllable, except maybe through diet or, you know, um, but there are pieces you can control, which might be changing your diet, you know, monitoring the blood sugar. Um, and also you can try to control your attitude towards it to some degree. Like, you know, I know it's there, but like, I'm not going to make my whole life about it. I'm going to try to live the most meaningful life I can despite diabetes. The key then is to focus on what you can control? Exactly. Yeah, and and devote most of your effort and energy to what you can control because it's more likely to get productive results. And there's always some aspect of a situation you can control, even if it's just the way you think about it. So it's also about attitude and mind shift of how you're thinking about the situation? Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it. And then you can also you work with the body as well, you know, through kind of mindfulness exercises or breathing where you learn to slow your physiology you learn to catch yourself when you've been triggered and and calm yourself down again so there's um there's that and then there's also the mindset is it also about dialing your expectations down and what you think should be or ought to be yeah many times that can be a helpful strategy um Often we kind of have the script about what, you know, what our life should be or what maybe it's, you know, what we've been socialized to want or maybe it's something we wanted but couldn't achieve, like maybe being married or having a child or having a certain amount of money or success in your job. Most people come across their limitations, especially as you age. And there's a certain point you, you kind of have to say, okay, I, you know, I thought it would be this, but it's actually not. It's actually that. So how can I make the best of, of what it is and realize it's not all or nothing? And how, you know, maybe I've got really good friends, for example, um, and I get to travel. How can I make those my sources of happiness rather than always ruminating about what I don't have? I think the biggest challenge is turn a situation that is negative into a positive for yourself or a challenge into a positive, right? Yeah, 
and it is a, a big challenge. And I think it's about seeing the positives in your life, whatever those are. Um, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, numb yourself to the feelings or, or shuttle the feelings down. Like the negatives can be there, but you just have to see it as just one piece of the whole puzzle of your life. And that there are these other positive pieces. And, you know, focus attention on those. Let those bring you, you joy in the small moments, even if the stress is, is still there in the background. What is it that take those who, let's say, have been injured in a war to go and compete in the Special Olympics? I mean, that's a very different mindset, right? Or a special mindset to be able to do that. Is there something or some type of um, thinking or mindset that they have that helps them to overcome and even more than overcome their situation, right? They turn it into a positive. Is that something that we can try to do? Is there... So, I mean, that that is a huge example of bravery. Um, some of the things that may have helped someone get to that point might be, you know, for, maybe they were athletic before they got injured, and so they have a certain a physical capacity or tolerance for physical determination. Sometimes people can have social support. You can have, you know, people in your life that love and support you, and that can make you stronger. Um, it, there's also a concept called post-traumatic growth. And so, you know, for some people, there's like, you can get something positive out of the experience. It doesn't mean you asked for the experience, you know, or that, that, that you wanted it to be there, but... You're making the most of it. Um, and some of it can be trying to do something heroic, like helping other people or, you know, just challenging yourself to a very high degree. Um, and how do you do that? I think, um, I think it's understanding your own capacities and what your strengths are. Not everybody's strong in every area. Like, are you a more physically strong person? Or are you, you know, more of a, of a, of a person that uses their mind a lot? Or are you, are you social? It's trying to use the strengths that you have and then to set a goal and then to, to take, keep, you know, breaking it down and taking small steps towards the goal. Um, and you know, sometimes it can be a pretty, you know, a pretty radical mindset shift. Like, you know, I thought the meaning of my life was going to be a super being an athlete or something, you know, um, but now I'm, I, I see I can't do that. So I'm going to make the meaning of my life about being a hero in my community and, you know, helping underprivileged kids or something like that. So you can change goals as well and make something else your source of meaning. That's beautiful. My, <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, you can still have a purpose. This doesn't stop. You know, this doesn't have to stop. Right. That's the, that's a very that's probably the biggest piece. You know, you can have you can't necessarily always feel happiness, but you can always have meaning in just about any situation. You know, and and so meaning is the thing to go for. And like if you go for the meaning, then the happiness will come. I think. My understanding is that when people get stressed, they tend to respond in the following ways. First is avoidance, second is tunnel vision, third is negative thinking, fourth is self-criticism, 
five is a, a fixed mindset, and six is fear. Can you discuss what is happening in each response and what we can do about it, starting with first avoidance? Sure. Yeah, so avoidance is a, is a natural response to fear. It comes from the, because we're wired for fight and flight. So one of our responses to threat is just that we're wired to run away. And um, that made sense in, when we were like living in the jungle. If you got away from the predators, you're more likely to have offspring and, you know, and like your genes are more likely to survive. And so it's wired in. Um, and the thing with avoidance is that once you avoid something, there's, a, there's an immediate reinforcement. Like, say, you know, you avoided going to a party because you, wish you had social anxiety. There's an immediate reinforcement. Oh, I don't have to go. You know, so you feel this relief. That's in the short term, um, but in the long term, it counts against you because the more you avoid something, the harder it gets to do it. And it, and it becomes like, you know, this bigger thing to do. And also you miss opportunities and you miss learning experiences. Like, wow, I can actually, you know, that wasn't as bad as I thought. I can actually handle it. And, you know, I actually met a friendly person at the party. Now we're going to get together for a walk. So there's the negatives of avoidance are that it, it just makes things worse if you try to do it later. And also you, you miss opportunities and to get resources or to have a lesson for yourself. But what happens if you receive a negative response back or you, or you get a more stressed response back in stepping out? And then, of course, it reinforces you to avoid. Is there a way to get around that? Yeah, and you know, I see this a lot with my clients. It's like, you know, they say like, okay, I, you know, I went to the the mom's event at school, and you know, I, I try to talk to people and make friends, but say people were clicky, you know, and I felt excluded and you know, I felt rejected, and you know, that didn't feel good. So, um, you know, people, I think this happens a lot. Or oh, I went out on a date, and then the person never called me back. Um, so what do you, how do you deal with that? The issue is that you can't avoid that. You know, people are going to do what they're going to do. You can't control the behavior of other people. But you can make it easier on yourself by also by changing the way you see the situation. And so you have to focus a bit more on yourself. Like, this is a personal challenge for me. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do my best. It may or may not work out. Um, but I'm going to feel good about myself because I, you know, I overcame my avoidance. And that's a success no matter how the other person acted. And also realizing, well, you know, maybe I don't get what I want the first time or the second time or the third time. But, you know, when I hang in there and persevere, eventually I'll find a friend. Eventually, you know, I'll find a date that will work out. So it's having that mindset as well. That's really great advice. Time for a short break and thank our underwriters. Be back on Stress Proofing Your Brain with Melanie Greenberg. It takes a village to keep independent radio alive and well in San Francisco. That's why KXSF 102.5 FM is looking for underwriters to support our station. If you are an individual who loves listening to local artists and bands, or you run a business that cares about cultural diversity in our city, your tax-deductible donation to San Francisco Community Radio is a great investment. 
find out more about how to become an underwriter, go to www.kxsf.fm, click on Become an Underwriter, and help keep KXSF on the air through 2019. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. I was talking with Melanie Greenberg before the break about responding to stress triggers, how we can more successfully manage them. So the second is tunnel vision. Can you talk about what it is and what happens and what we can do about it? Yeah, this is something that most people don't know about stress uh, and anxiety. But when we feel stressed and anxious, um, what happens is mentally your mind kind of narrows onto focusing on the threat. Um, and so your thinking gets more tunnel vision, it gets more narrow. There's a threat, there's a threat, there's a threat, kind of thing. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, and that's, again, that helped our ancestors survive to be focused on what could be a threat and running away from it, uh, the tiger or whatever. But it's not necessarily helpful to us because the kinds of problems we face today often, you know, involve a more broad way of thinking or they involve a more multifaceted solution. Um, so it's just, it's realizing that, that your mind under stress and anxiety has a tendency to get repetitive and to just focus on the problem, on, on the problem and the problem. And so part of it is, is understanding when you're ruminating, which means, you know, going over the same thing over and over in your mind, is just to realize I'm ruminating, like, you know, did it, is it, and to look at it, like, is the way I'm thinking about this changing at all? Is the way I'm thinking about this helping me solve the problem or find a new solution? Um, or, you know, is it unhelpful? If it's unhelpful, then you need to just break the cycle of rumination, which means just interrupt it, like, go and do something else anything else, even if it's walking around the room. Or, um, so it's becoming an, kind of an observer of your own thoughts to see when you've gone into tunnel vision. Um, the other thing is to broaden the view. So just meant in your mind, just think about broadening the view. Like, okay, I'm focusing on this threat, but, you know, imagine how would, like, a fly on the wall see this or something like that? How would a, what if I, you know, was looking at my life from a distance as an observer? You know, would they, what would they see? And often you would see that the threat is, is not as big or it's just one piece. So a lot of people do this in their, while they're sleeping or in their beds, right? Yeah, that's a big cause of insomnia is worry and rumination. And then, you know, that makes it worse because then that affects your mood and it makes your brain more murky. So I do tell people who, who you know, sit up and worry at night or have insomnia, even if they get woken up um, by anxiety, it's just it's to try to get up and have a book ready or have a little kit ready, you know, whether it's whatever, some lavender to smell, some lavender oil, or have a cup of tea, or like just um, have a distraction. Interrupt it again. So it's about having a peaceful distraction. Exactly, that's a beautiful way to put it—a peaceful distraction. Exactly. Okay, until your mind relaxes. And then you can go back to sleep, hopefully. Yeah. And, you know, if you're doing something else, your mind will automatically relax. 
um, there is there different networks in the brain. There's one network that's active when we worry, and it's called the default mode network because it tends to be our default to be just mentally kind of you know spinning. Um, but when you engage in a task, any task, it could be tiling your bookshelves, or, or when you also connected to your senses, like you you sucking on a mint or you smelling lavender, that that switches off that network. So that's it's helpful for for that reason as well. Yeah, that sounds helpful. The third stress response is negative thinking, which is probably in the background of all of it, right? Yeah, you know, our brains have a negative bias. And again, it's because of this wiring to avoid danger. The purpose of our brains is to keep us alive, ultimately, like to predict what's going to happen so we can so we can deal with it or avoid danger and to keep us alive. It's not the, the brain isn't wired to make you happy. And so um, we tend to just the negative grabs us. So one of my colleagues, Rick Hansen, he says, um, the brain is Velcro for the negative and Teflon for the positive, which is, is so true. It's like, the, you know, we have something positive. It just sort of slips, slips away um, in our minds, whereas the negative we cling to. And so you have to understand that and try to compensate for the bias, which is deliberately making yourself focus on the positive. It's like, what are the small positive moments in your day? Maybe, you know, you saw a, a, a flower or maybe somebody smiled at you, or maybe you know you saw you saw your child, or um, or you had a, a you know a good walk or exercise, or you, you patted your dog. It doesn't matter what it was, but you have to try to make those moments bigger and pay more attention to them. Interesting. So then this ties to self criticism as well. Yeah, I mean self criticism we also have as part of our brain is kind of the inner critic. Sometimes it's directed out at other people, but often it's directed at ourselves. And yeah, I think originally it may have come in, into being as part of that wiring, like to try to self-correct or to, you know, say you grew up in a family where you didn't get as much love as you needed. So originally I think what the brain does is to try to say, okay, well, maybe if I do this differently, then I then I'll be loved, or maybe if I stop doing that. Um, and it's very really unconscious, but I think then this part of our, our minds develop, which is kind of always commenting on what we're doing and telling us we're not doing it well enough. Um, and it's, you know, it's got a kind of a survival function. It's trying to help us, but it's not doing a good job because it brings you down as well. So I think um, the best thing to what I tell my patients is that Try to externalize it, like call it something else, call it the critic or call it, you know, there's dad's voice or there's mom's nagging or whatever, um, wherever you think that voice came from. And then realize, you know, it's not you and it's not the truth and like you don't have to accept it. And then just try to find some distance from it and just ask it to step back or else maybe negotiate with it. Like, what do you need? Talk to that part of yourself. What do you need? What are you scared of? And then, you know, try to kind of almost make a deal with it. Like, okay, if you if you can just calm down a bit, um, you know, I'm going to work really hard on my homework, whatever it is. That's an interesting approach. Talk to it as if you're talking to somebody that 
is opposing you, let's say, and you need to figure out how to dial it down? Yeah, you can ask it, can you step back a bit? Like, can you, sometimes I think you can think of your brain as having different parts. Like maybe there's the frightened child part or maybe there's an angry teenager part. Or, um, that's what most people have. And then they have the critic and then they have a healthy adult, which is a part of your brain, you know, where you're functional. You get up and you go to work and you take care of things. And so, like, you don't want the critic to be in charge of your brain. You want the healthy adult to be in charge. Um, and it's metaphorical, but the idea is kind of to say to the critic, let the healthy adult handle this. And then you just think, well, how would a healthy adult handle the situation? You know, so it's more about encouraging yourself, making a behavior change if you need to, but not being overly harsh about it, having some self-compassion, motivating yourself, and so on. Okay, so you can say, you can pretend that you're talking to a teenager, or you can say to the critic, you need to calm down. It's not as bad as you think it is, and we need to focus on the positive. Yeah, or just, yeah, exactly, or back off, you know. I know you're trying to help, but what you're saying isn't helpful. Like, it's getting in the way of my goals here. You know, let the healthy adults deal with the situation. Like, you know, I've got this. It's almost like saying, I've got this, even to the child part of your brain, you know. You know, so the more you say it, the more you develop that confidence. Okay, you know, the healthy adult's got this, and it puts you into that mindset of thinking of yourself as a healthy adult. The fifth one is fixed mindset. What is going on so, there? So um, fixed mindset is, is kind of when we stressed, we can, some of us can become more rigid. It's so resistant to change. Like you get stuck on a certain way of seeing things or you get stuck in a certain, you know, you start, you keep, when you stress, you're more likely to do things the way you've always done them. Because, uh, you know, it's just kind of automated and you can't think properly anyway. Um, and so, like... It's like an automatic loop that you keep going. So how do you get out of that loop once you're, you know, you're just on it and you, you're trying to get off of that loop, right? Where you have that right. mindset that just keeps on looping back like a tape recorder. Exactly. You keep coming back to the same way of seeing things. Oh, you can't, you can't get off it. And I mean, I think the only thing with that is repeated practice. You have to say, okay, you know, I know I'm seeing it this way, but like it would be, I need to try to see it this way, this other way. And you just keep practicing, even saying the words or, um, you know, like, it's not so bad, I've got this, just say, versus, oh, this is a disaster. And like, you just, it's kind of like you can just say that every time you think this is a disaster, you just redirect it's not so bad, I've got this, I can do this now, whatever. And it's like you're building a new road in your brain. You know, the one road is a super highway, the one that's so fixed. The other one, it's like you still have to dig the ditches for the road. <laughs> but if you keep doing it, eventually those ditches will get dug in the pathway will develop. So it's, it's, a lot of it is repeated practice, even if it doesn't feel very powerful in the beginning. So you have to make it in a habit. Exactly. A mental habit, yeah. A mental habit where you say it to yourself every day. And then over time, you'll naturally think that way. Yeah, that's one way. Another way is you consider, you can think, this would be another way to view the situation. 
so you can you know you can do that a little bit more deliberately like you know uh, and you might think okay what's a person i know who who i really look up to who seems to cope very well how would they see the situation what about somebody that loves me like how would they see the situation or the other person that i'm interacting with how do they see the situation so you can actually practice how would an observer see the situation so you can practice different perspectives as well that's good to know okay this last stressor is fear yeah so fear you know is part of the fight or flight and it's just when you get scared sometimes the lower parts of your brain take over that are much more primitive and automated and affecting your body um one of the things with fear is just to try to slow it down um don't don't act immediately out of the fear because it seems like there's different pathways in the brain one is that very fast um lower brain kind of pathway where you know you just have more of like an emergency response but if you wait a little bit um there's a slower pathway that goes through the cortex that goes to the thinking center of your brain and that can analyze the situation better so you know i think it's like slow things down slow your breath down don't act right away and wait for the thinking part of your brain to come on board you have said that one can try to control one's thought at one time or another with the aid of self-help books and perhaps you have tried to be positive and show negativity out the door. And this may have even worked for a while. But sooner or later, one probably finds one's back at the starting point. And I know a lot of people try hard to be an optimist. And you're saying that it doesn't really work, right? Yeah. Uh Yeah. I mean, on its own, if that's all you do, it's not so sustainable. So what do you do then? So... That being said, I mean, there are some people that, that are, you know, naturally optimistic and they do, it does help sometimes just to have that kind of personality, but a lot of it's probably just in your genetics. Um, but if you aren't naturally that way, I think it can be superficial, you know, that you're just like, oh no, let's be positive. And, um, you know, it's, sometimes that's just like layering over the problem. It's just disguising the problem and not really looking at it. So it can be, um, it can act as a kind of denial. Um, and so it's kind of, I think it's like you need both. You need to allow the negative because, you know, the feelings are there anyway and you can't really just squash them. Um, some of it is just looking at what you feel, you know, allowing the feelings to be there and maybe observing them. And then at the same time, you can redirect more positive, but it's like not one or the other. You don't want to say, oh, it's not so bad to, you know, have terminal cancer or something. Because like if you say that, you're just invalidating yourself. It can kind of feel worse. But it's more like you may want to say to yourself, like, I know this is really painful. And, you know, maybe one of the most difficult things you've faced to have terminal cancer. But like you, you can find a way to, you know, have to get through this and to find some meaning in it. You get more positive based on a solution and what you're going to do as well, not just making a statement. The key then is to acknowledge your negative feelings and what's going on. And then second, it sounds like it'll help more if you problem solve. And somehow it'll make you feel more positive than to say there's nothing wrong. I'm okay. Yeah, you... 
I think there's two different ways you pro- you problem solve, and also you can try to you know look at different ways of viewing the situation. Like I talked about in the last segment, I think you can use both of those to deflect the negative bias. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, this is just one way of this is one way of looking at it. What might be some other way of looking at it? Let's expand on the negative self-talk people tend to do, starting with the past. People's negative self-talk tends to be about, you know, something went wrong, you know, and I can't get out of my mind. It was so embarrassing if I only hadn't done that. And you feel like you can't leave your mistake behind. Yeah, you know, and a lot of that is like the critic. So, um, you know, it's regret. It's like your negative self-talk about the past. Or about the future. Oh, this is going to be a disaster. You know, and so some of it is getting is is noticing when your mind's gone into the past too much, and and just trying to bring it back to like this moment, like what's happening right now. Like maybe you know, right now you're probably safe in your house in your chair, but your mind's you know has, has done a time travel to some disastrous situation. So sometimes just bringing yourself back to the, the safety of the present and getting out of the past or future or just saying, I can't change the past. It's not helpful. I just, you know, I need to focus on what I can do today. Um, and, you know, learning to, to be more compassionate and to try to forgive yourself for past mistakes because we all make mistakes and it's a learning experience living, I think. But a lot of people do beat themselves up. Right about what could have been, what should have been. Yeah, what I could have done differently. Yeah, and you know the thing is, the problem with that is hindsight is twenty twenty. Like you don't know what that other choice would have looked like. Is number one. Number two is like if you made a mistake or you made a poor decision, you kind of have to to evaluate that in the context of your circumstances. A lot of people, maybe they never received, you know, guidance from their families. They weren't, you know, they weren't taught how to how to resolve conflict in a peaceful way. So they all they know is just to shout and scream, and that you know that may drive people away. But it's not necessarily your fault that you had that response to begin with. If you never learned anything else, and you know, you can change it now. So sometimes it's also looking at the circumstances and and you know, being more compassionate in the way you look at that decision you made. Which is the hard part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about people's negative self-talk about the present? That is, I can't do this. It is overwhelming. Yeah, that's a hard one, but I think you can do something. Um, Some of it is, is just, you know, sometimes I have people do this, I can't do this, this is too much, don't but the thing is that just because you have a thought that I can't do this doesn't mean you can't do it. Or if you have a thought this is too much doesn't mean it really is too much. It's like your brain, you know, goes into its own spin. But you don't have to believe every thought you have. And so sometimes just getting some separation from that thought, even just saying to yourself, I'm having a thought that this is too much. I'm having a thought that I can't do it. It already gives you some distance. Um, Sometimes thoughts are just automatic habits, like they're not necessarily the best way to look at the situation. So um, just saying to yourself, it's just a thought, you know, let me, let, me, let me kind of think if I can find a different thought or 
let me just get some, let me just observe the thought, but I don't have to listen to it so much. I can't maybe stop the thought from coming. Thoughts are very rapid and automatic. You can't control your thoughts, you know, what's in your head. You can try to redirect, but it's like you can just let the thought be there, but you don't have to, like, give it so much power. So when you say don't give it so much power, you know, obviously your emotions are going to be so wired and wound it up right at that moment yeah how do you physically dial it down just focus on something else I mean you, you could maybe just even go to your body and say what's happening in my body now and like so and just observe oh there's a tightness in my chest I think that's anger and so you can you can go to kind of a different level of experience and then you can observe that or you can send some breath into your chest. Sometimes you can do a lot more with the body in certain moments than you can with the mind. And then, you know, that may automatically change the thought. So acknowledge it and then say, okay, moving on? Yeah, let me, let me focus on my body. You know, it would be an example. Let me just describe what's happening in my body or let me ask myself what I need. Um, or just, you know, saying, I know this feels really difficult, kind of being kind to yourself. Um, but also encouraging, you know, like you will find a way. Sometimes you can um, try to think about things in the past where you have coped successfully. You can try to bring to mind instances of your own success or the supports and resources and strengths you have and deliberately think about that. That can help as well. To focus that you got it, you have to support you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. It's just one step at a time, you know, and sometimes it may even be like, you know, just don't, you know, you don't have to think about this problem now. It seems like you're triggered, you say to yourself, you know, and like, not you know, let, let's just, let's work on just getting our physiology back or let's just work on, you know, and grounding yourself and then you can come back to the problem. Like you, you know, that's just, or you could say that's just your depression speaking. Yeah, you just, it's really, so that's another, you know, you're not seeing this, you may not be seeing this clearly now. Let's give it a break and come back to it. What about people's negative self talk about the future? That's not going to work out. It's going to be a catastrophe. Yeah, I mean, some of that is like, you know, they, we never know what's going to happen. So you're assuming you know what's going to happen. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's fortune telling. You can call it fortune telling. That can help. Um, and then, you know, to just reel it back in, like, five, okay, you're five steps ahead here. Like, what's the next, what do you have to worry about right now? And what can you do about that? What's, just do it one step at a time more. So tell yourself you can't fortune tell. So reel it back in and focus on the small steps that you have control over. Exactly. And what do I do next? You know, like, and again, is this a piece that just, you know, that I won't know the outcome for a while. So let me not focus on it. It's not going to get me anywhere. Let me focus what I can do now. Time for a short break. We'll turn more on stress proofing your brain. 
Support for KXSF comes from Chris Stover Properties, a San Francisco realtor who understands the city and can help you navigate the market whether you're a buyer or a seller. Chris believes that contributing to KXSF strengthens our diverse community by keeping live music and the arts alive. Contact Chris by calling him at 415-786-8020. Thanks for supporting independent radio KXSF 102.5 FM San Francisco. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Melanie Greenberg and I were talking about addressing negative self-talk before the break. What about people whose personality are always anxious starting from childhood yeah there is a a physiology I think some of us are wired to be anxious Um, I guess you know you can't completely change your physiology some of that I guess you just have to live with Um, but again you can you can make more progress on the mental and just realizing like I'm going to have anxiety but I don't have to always you know let the anxiety dominate my decision I can make decisions based on other factors like my goals. Sometimes you just have to be, you know, willing to be uncomfortable in order to get your goal, closer to your goal. Sometimes there's not a way around the discomfort. But you've said that over time, people's negative thoughts become hardwired into your brain, into a new path. So let's say if you're already naturally inclined to be anxious, can you still wire or rewire your brain to take a different path? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, you can work through like your mind and your body um, and your behavior. So with your mind, it's kind of like it's doing some of the mental strategies we talked about. Um, sometimes it's it's trying to, to, you know, look at what am I really frightened about? What's the worst that could happen? And many times the worst that could happen is something that you could probably survive or handle or, or get through, even if it wouldn't be that comfortable. Um, so there's, that's the mind um, the, or, or just the redirection. The body, you know, you can notice anxiety in your body um, and you can, you can use the breath um, or you can learn muscle, you know, relaxing your muscles and stretching, going, um, going for a walk. So, or doing yoga, you can do physical things to calm anxiety in the body, meditation, for example. And then behavior is, I think, um, the less you know, the, the more you kind of you, may, you face what you fear, but in small steps um, and the manageable steps, then the, the anxiety will go down as you learn that you can handle like a greater range of situations than you thought. It's like you're training or retraining the way you respond and hopefully in it results in rewiring of how you respond over time in a new path. Correct. Correct, yeah. And you and you're using different avenues, you know, for and it's also um you can for some people you know, exercise is great. For some people meditation or for some people they you know need more social support or they talk to a friend or so you also work with your mind. You just have to understand what works best for you as well. And sometimes you figure that out over time. What about people who have gone through trauma? 
What happens in this super stress situation? So, you know, I, I want to say one thing. Trauma um, is also trauma, and then there's people who have post-traumatic stress disorder. So there can be people that have gone through trauma that, you know, don't have the full post-traumatic stress disorder. And then, you know, they could, if they're more like a resilient person with good support, they can use the same strategies. Um, somebody who has post-traumatic stress disorder, they may get kind of knocked off balance into a more extreme state where they're emotionally flooded or where they're numb, um, you know, dissociated. And in those states, you, you, um, I think the goal is just to understand what your triggers are. What are you, you know, what are you reacting to to try to maybe stay away from some of the triggers, you know, like people that stress you out or whatever. And it's, and so it's working more about like kind of getting your nervous system back to a more regulated state before you think about the problem and trying lots of self-soothing. What about stress from illness? Let's say you're constantly going to the doctor's office or getting blood tests and, you know, each time it stresses you out, right? Because then you have to wait for the results. You're trying to figure out if you have any control. It feels like you don't have any control because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's really hard. I think um, the chronicity of it is hard and the uncertainty, you know, which are two things that are hard for our brains to handle. Um, Part of it, I think, is just it's like doing the things you have to do. And then, you know, when you're waiting for a test result, at least trying to let go of thinking about it and distracting yourself or comforting, you know, or doing things that are that lift you up. And um, I know it's very hard. You will worry about the test result, but you don't have to obsess about it all the time. Like you have to so just try to just understand that this is in the uncontrollable area. It's not helpful to think about it. And obviously I will sometimes, but I've just got to keep redirecting. And then, um, you know, if a bad test result comes back, well, yeah, maybe you'll be grieving. Maybe you'll be in a state of shock. And like you kind of, it just has to unfold over time. You just keep using your tools and turning to your support and trying to find, you know, what can still be meaningful about your life and what strengths do you still have to handle the situation. So it sounds like if you can look for and find meaning and focus on that, that it's going to take you a long way. Exactly. Because, you know, that's the one thing you can control is how you is, is is making the situation more meaningful by the way you think about it and also by actions you can take. Okay, wrapping up, the top three strategies to stress-proof your brain each day. Um, there's a lot of strategies, but based on our conversation today, I, I think I'm going to stick with um, kind of like your, your mind, your heart, um, and your feet. <laughs> so your mind would be trying to, you know, do those, uh, some of the patterns of finding a new way to view the situation, distracting from rumination, not giving your thoughts so much power, um, and those kinds of, of strategies, um, you know, not good, looking at um, part of the situation you can control. And then with your heart, I think it's... Um, it's working with the body when you're triggered, when you, your heart is beating fast and you're kind of in a you know, panicky state. It's using your breath or going for a walk or talking to someone, just ca- trying to calm it down. Um, and your feet would be more like problem solving, like, you know, do the actions 
that you know to be healthy. Use your healthy adult. Um, break the problem down into small steps and, and, you know, do one step at a time. And, and don't avoid. Like, you know, keep moving yourself forward towards your goal, even, even when it's hard and even when there's obstacles in your way. You don't have to let the obstacles derail you. It's like keep moving, keep going, don't give up. And um, take the actions you need to take with it, you know, like motivate yourself to live healthy or to take care of your stress, you know, with like managing your stress, giving yourself time and also doing the actions that will lead to a solution to the problem. Beautifully said. Thank you for joining me today on Spark. You're welcome.